Octane Fuel Your Fire podcast is brought to you by Gatorade Endurance and the DFW Tri Club. Go to dfwtriclub.com and dfwtriclub.com slash calendar to choose from over 1,000 coached workouts every year. Sign up today at DFW Tri Club. And we are also brought to you by Gatorade Endurance. Anyone can go the extra mile. Gatorade Endurance is for the people who want to go the extra five miles. It's got more carbs, calories, and electrolytes to help meet endurance athletes' needs. It's going to be the on-site nutrition for Ironman for the next three years. Available at specialty retail stores at fuelbelt.com and at Amazon. So go out and try some Gatorade Endurance. I'm here uh, today with uh, Ryan Cooper from Best Bike Split. Uh, BestBikeSplit.com is the URL for that uh, for that uh, technology. Uh, it's owned by Training Peaks. We'll talk a little bit about that here in a second. And uh, I'm here with uh, Mike Sexton once again. So we've added the you know again the dusty dulcet tones of Mike. Hello, Sexton this to is the Mike Sexton. <laughs> Got such a good radio voice. You know, this is a radio spinning watts and power. Yes. <laughs> Yes, actually, it's kind of interesting you said that. So, Ryan, uh, welcome, man. We we met at the Training Peaks U here in Dallas, and uh, it was awesome. And I was I kid Mike. I've kid Mike a couple times. I don't know if you listen to the podcast at all, but I uh, said, man, you know, Ryan walks in the room, and here's this guy who looks like a kid. And then he opens his mouth, and it's like this genius all of a sudden appears in front of you. So, I've been looking forward to this, man. I'm I'm just hoping to understand most of what you say i think i'll be able to keep up okay but yeah our first question is when you walk into a room do you see it like in green code like on the matrix or <laughs> do you actually just think and see things like the rest of us just you can usually usually it's just a big haze so. <laughs> a big waterfall of ones and zeros um all right well let's talk uh let's talk a little bit about bike best bike split uh ryan and just so you know um you know we'll we'll definitely give you some time here at the end to talk about you know why folks should use it and things like that but um what i what i did i did actually when we were in training pcu and then updated it this morning was uh, i went through uh, ocean sides this week um so i went and updated my own um data in best bike split and it spit out uh what i should ride for this week and i'm going to go meet with the coach this afternoon so i'll talk through that but when i put in last week's um data it came within five minutes of what i actually did and i didn't ride as hard as it said i i should have but uh, it was interesting so but before we talk about that let's let's talk a little bit about how you got started and and who you are who best bike split is and we'll kind of go from there so yeah best bike split kind of started it was a amalgamation of uh of ideas that uh kind of came together uh, in the summer of 2013 so i was uh my wife and I, so she had just had our, our first and only <laughs> child so far, so um, a little boy, Eli, and uh, I took two weeks off from work to, to kind of, quote-unquote, help uh, <laughs> help out at the house. Um, I can see where this is going already. Yeah, so as I'm sitting there and kind of <laughs> sitting on the couch, I uh, started to, to think about a, um, 
the tour was coming up, and I started to think about the time trial and the tour. And uh, actually, in June of that of 2013, they had a, a pretty cool symposium at the University of Utah that they streamed live um, over the internet. And I was sitting at home, and I wanted to watch it, so I'm sitting there watching it. And uh, they talked about it was all about math and cycling and how people are using math to do different things that are cycling related. So uh, a lot of it around aerodynamics. Um, but there was one talk talking about um, optimal pacing strategies, and it's a it's a topic that has kind of uh, popped up uh, over the last probably ten years quite a bit. Um, a lot of papers have been written trying to figure this out, like what is the optimal pacing strategy for a time trial, or you can move that over and say for a triathlon, uh, for a bike portion of a triathlon. Um, and so I started to think about it, and there was a there was a talk on it, and and it was very very complicated. It was you had to go basically had to go ride the course beforehand. Then you would take that data, and then you would run it through some some like preliminary like kind of data smoothing, and basically the whole process would require you to ride it, and then model the the model would take about four to six hours to run, and then it would come up with a some answers that you would then try and go implement and then see if it worked or didn't. And I said, okay, well, that's ridiculous. It shouldn't shouldn't be this complicated. So um, when I had those two weeks off, I said, well, let me see if I can can write a model that would take an average power uh, target and kind of predict Tour de France race times for the the first time trial. And uh, and sure enough, I... uh, Hopefully you can still hear me. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, I got my computer and it went blank on me. Um, and and so I wrote this model, and my wife is you know exhausted, and <laughs> she's I'm not sleeping much either. So I'm up till two and two a.m. every day, kind of working on this and helping with the baby, working on this. Um, and so I think like two o'clock in the morning before the tour, I I came up with about six riders that I had um, decent data on. Either I could find old power data from, uh, actually, some of it was posted on Training Peaks, which is kind of interesting, from 2012. Um, so I had power data for different riders. I estimated their drag based on some equations and their, their kind of position and came up with, a, oh, I think these people are going to finish in X amount of time. And my wife was like, I don't care who I am to help with the baby. And so I'm like, no, it'll be cool, it'll be cool. And so the next morning, uh, we were pretty much up all night. uh, And then the next morning, uh, the time trial kicked off. And so we started watching, and the time started coming in. And, you know, the first, I think we had Constor, somebody uh, coming in first, uh, or the first rider to come in. And we had, like, a time on him. And it was within, you know, like 10 seconds or 7 seconds. And then the rest of the riders came through. We had Tony Martin, and then we had Chris Froome, and they were, like, hitting all these numbers. And so then she starts to get a little more excited. Uh, so we looked and said, hey, can you bet on time trials? And so we looked <laughs> and was like, oh, dang, you can't really bet specifically on times on time trials. So we, <laughs> so we go, okay. Um, so you're not going to make money that way. So. Yeah, well, yeah, not yet. We're, <laughs> we're hoping that they'll start. Anyway, uh, so they, um, so she she was like, oh, this is cool, but what are you going to do with it? I was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Um, and about a couple weeks later, um, there was a post on Slow Twitch that had Tony Martin's race plan for that very time trial. 
And he had broken down, I think it was a 19-mile course, and he had broken it into about, I want to say it was over 100 segments, where he said for every 100 to 200 meters, he had a plan on exactly what he was going to do for that section of the course. And to me, that kind of said, whoa, wait a minute, we can automate that and say, hey, not only can we predict your time, but we can tell you how to race the race to get your best possible time out of it um, and give you the instructions to do it. So instead of having to go pre-ride the course and do all this other stuff, why don't we just give you the plan that says, based on the wind conditions, based on the road conditions, based on your physiological ability, here's where you should push, here's where you should take it easy, here's where... um, you know, on this hill, you should go at a certain watt. So maybe you hit 200 watts on this hill, or uh, in their case, maybe you hit 400 watts on this hill. Um, and so so we kind of got, that was kind of a eureka, you know, aha moment that we said, well, okay, so we can use this for something uh, other than just predicting race time. So we, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, Rich, and I got together, and he's kind of a all-around developer, front-end designer, uh, hacks together back-end kind of stuff. So we got together and said, let's make a little simple application. Uh, We didn't think much was going to come out of it, that users could put in their race data, uh, get some information back about the course, and kind of get a predicted time and a goal kind of power uh, profile for the course. Um, So we started to build that out, and in November, we wanted to do a we wanted to get some publicity going for a uh, beta launch in January. So in November of 2013, we uh, took the 70.3 World Pro, uh, sorry, 70.3 World Champs was in Vegas that year. So we took one of the riders, Josh Hamburger, and basically tweeted out a prediction of his time the day before the race and said, "Josh Hamburger is going to finish in two hours and fifteen minutes." And uh, and he took offense to that, <laughs> so he wrote back on, on uh, Twitter and said that our algorithm sucked and that we were way off and that there was no way he was going to ride that slow. And uh, then the next day, he finished in two hours, 15 minutes, and 19 seconds. And So you uh, were wrong, is what you're saying. Yeah, well, we were 19 seconds off. Yeah, so, or maybe you just didn't pace it right. I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, so he wrote back on Twitter apologizing <laughs> and uh and he's been awesome. Like it's been a he's been a great um, advocate for us uh, ever since. And so we helped him with a lot of races it's last pretty, year. And pretty good, we'll, we'll pretty good pub, right? Pretty good pub. You get a conflict with the guy at first, and then he's got to come back and say, "Oh, sorry, you were yeah. dead on." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was a so that that kind of like generated some interest, and then um, from there we launched a free beta in January. And uh, one of the other things we did early on, which. Uh, which helped generate quite a bit of uh, interest as well was I was using Trainer Road a lot at the time. So I don't know if you're uh, familiar with Trainer Road, but it's an indoor, simple indoor um, kind of cycling application. So it'll control a kicker or a copy trainer, or it'll read um, data off your power meter. And it basically just gives you kind of targets to hit, and then you go and ride, and it'll if you have a kicker or you have a copy trainer, it'll control that unit and force you to hit those watts. And... One of the and it's very simple, very easy to use. But one of the things it lacked was you couldn't like free ride courses. You couldn't bring courses into it. Um, in the way that CompuTrainer or the way that I think there's a virtual trainer and a few other programs now um, will let you load a course in, and they'll try and simulate the course. But if you know 
a little bit about these these kind of resistance units. They don't do very good at simulating downhills. Um, in fact, the kicker can't even do a negative grade uh, on it. Like you can in simulation mode, you can't do a. It won't let you do a downhill uh, mode. So, um, so Trainer Road didn't really have the ability to ride a course. So, what we did is an we output an erg file based on your power plan for any course, which you could then just drag into trainer road and then go pre-ride the course um, with the kind of power requirements you would need for the conditions for the hills, et cetera. Um, and so that really got a lot of people excited um, because it just kind of added a different dynamic to their you know, trainer road experience. So we, we released that with launch and then that kind of generated quite a bit of buzz uh, going into January of 2014 um, and from there, we started adding quite a, new, quite a bit of features to, to the application. Uh, when we started off, it was pretty bare bones. Um, you put in a goal power, and it would tell you how to use that power over the course. Um, and then we started to say, well, wait a minute. What if I want to hit a 530 on this course? What, well, why can't I just have it tell me what power I need to do to hit a 530 on this course? So we moved on to a time-based model. And then for triathletes, started thinking and said, well, wait a minute, we have this awesome uh, book, How to Cheat Using a Power Meter, or, uh, you know, or, or how to race uh, racing and, and training and racing with a power meter, and we have this cool concept that Joe Friel put together of, uh, you know, cheating or how to cheat by using a power meter that gave you specific TSS goals based on the type of rider you are, uh, so that in a triathlon, when you get off the bike, you know that you'll be able to run well. And so we said, well, well, that should be easy, too. Let's create a model where you input a t target TSS, and it will tell you the time that you're going to finish and the power that you need so that you know that you can run well off the bike. So we started adding features like that. Um, we also kind of came up with the concept of what we call a power-based uh, power course. So... Uh, Garmin, you can you can load courses into a Garmin to get turn-by-turn -turn navigations into a Garmin cycling computer. Um, and so we kind of leveraged and piggybacked off of that idea and said, well, instead of giving turn-by-turn -turn directions, why don't we give you your power targets when you hit certain lat-long points? So if you're riding a course and you hit the bottom of a hill, instead of saying turn right, we say, hey, hit this hill at 300 watts. And then when you get to the top of the hill, you get another notification that says, hey, now on the downhill, you know, free spin or hit 100 watts. So it's kind of a, a way to use the technology that every, you know, 90% of cyclists already have, um, but then kind of reuse it for a different purpose. So. Yeah, I downloaded that today for the Oceanside course for this weekend, and I'm, I'm going to try it. At least when I get out there, I'm going to... Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I would definitely recommend that you go and try it beforehand and make yeah. sure you get the settings exactly like you want because uh, we have had people use it with tons of success over Ironman distance, over half Ironman distance. Um, but at the same time, it really does take some getting used to because, uh, you know, just like anything, going out to your first race and trying something brand new yeah. for the first time is uh, is always a little <laughs> nerve-wracking. So. Yeah, no, I think what I'm going to do is probably I'm going to mostly ignore it and do what I usually do out there, which is just pay attention to normalized power. But yep. it's, I just want to go through and actually see how that alert feature works. and Because and I'll, I'll have my 920 on my wrist that will have the actual race splits in it. Yeah. I'll just ride with the 510 on the bike just to – 
just to kind of see how the, the best bike split stuff works with the, I that's downloaded that yeah, so, file and did it that way. That, yeah, that's that's what I recommend as well because uh, I have tested on the 920 and there's a couple of settings that you need to turn on uh, that don't really allow. I mean, it works on a 920, but we don't officially support the watches yet because you can't turn off uh, two key features, off-course notifications. So uh, what you'll notice on some of the watch-based systems is you'll get a little bit of a jittery GPS. So um, your GPS is usually perf uh, really good, but then every once in a while it'll jump. And so like if it's switching satellites or something like that, it'll, you'll have like a little kind of a hiccup in the GPS. And if you're following course, that hiccup will make the course think that you're quite a bit away from it, and so it'll pop up an off-course warning. And so it just can, can kind of get annoying. On the GPS computers, on the edge computers, you can turn off that warning. So it'll pop off for a second, pop back on, you won't even notice, and it'll keep going with what it's doing. But um, on the watch, they don't have that function or the feature to be able to turn that off. Um, another thing I've noticed on the 920 is there's no feature to turn off the pre-turn warning. So... Uh, it will give you two power targets. It'll say about, usually it's variable, but with about a 0.1 mile from the point where your new power target will be, it'll say in you know X amount of time, here's your new target. And then you hit it again, and it says here's your new target. So um, on the Edge computer, you can turn those, feet, those uh, functions off. So far on the 920, you can't, uh, but we're looking at the, Connect IQ to potentially do a Best Bike Split app for for those watches. So for the 920, the Phoenix 3, um, and anything that's going to support Connect IQ. So. Yeah, that Connect IQ is neat. Not to digress into that because I don't want to do that, but it is kind of a neat thing. They have a good heart rate variability app that I just downloaded. It works pretty well. So I'm kind of excited about the uh, Garmin App Store is what I'm calling it. Yep. yep. Hey, it's, so uh, let's be cool. Ryan, let's take it. A, let's take it a, a little half step back here. So I want everybody understand um, a couple of things about best bike split. Number one, the kind of data that you ask the, the, the athlete to enter, um, mm -hmm. what kind of information they need to have on hand um, to set up in their profile. Uh, they're going to need their bike information. So let's talk about the inputs a little bit. And then once we get through talking about the inputs, let's talk about some of those outputs in a little more detail. So, uh, we, we kind of glossed over the fact that you know it gives it gives me a predicted time, a predicted level of effort, um, those kinds of things. But let's talk about some of the things folks need to understand and know before they can go in and, and try this. And and by the way, for everybody listening, you can uh, go to bestbikesplit.com and and load yourself in there for free. Um, I think it's limited. Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong here. It's limited to one bike. It's limited to one course. Uh, it's limited in terms of how many downloads you can have on the free version, but it does. It is very feature rich, um, and it will give you a race prediction and 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 effort level estimates for you uh, based on the course. And and there's tons and tons of courses in there. Um, so yeah, just talk about let's talk about the inputs and the outputs a bit, Ryan. You can touch on some of the some of the the other things as well. Sure. Um, so one of the things I kind of like to, to stress, uh, and one of the things I stressed at the, the Training Peace University was that for this kind of modeling, good data in is going to make the data out good. So like if you have bad data in, you're going to get bad data out. So the while somewhat cumbersome, in some ways the inputs are very important, 
Um, so things like uh, about the rider yourself, so things like your height, um, your weight, yeah, and this would be weight kind of in a race setup, if you will, um, your training elevation. So do you normally train at sea level or do you train up in Boulder? Um, those kind of things can affect affect you your power output uh, based on where you're going to race. So if I'm training in Boulder and then I go race at sea level um, the next weekend, then I'll actually see a bit of a power improvement, whereas if I'm doing the opposite, then I'm going to have to drop my power targets uh, to account for that. So um, so inputs about the about you, the rider, or the athlete is very important. Um, same thing goes with the bike. So right now we have two kind of levels of inputs on the bike. So there's the generic, what type of bike do you have? Is it one of the new super, uh, you know, the Cervelo P6, or is it a... Uh, older kind of aluminum frame so the type of basic bike that you have um the type of wheels that you have so we kind of make it some some generic drag assumptions based on type of bike the type of wheels your position so a basic position on the bike and we give some explanation for what those positions are but if you want to get to a a better input um, kind of scenario, we also have developed a uh, drag equation based on bike fit measurements. So uh, if you have a retool bike fit or um, a bike fit, uh, most of the, the bike fitting uh, systems now give you, give you a lot of measurements. And so we take 12 of those measurements and then including your accurate height and uh, can come up with a drag equation. Uh, that is more specific to you. So uh, the gen- general drop-down settings can uh, can get pretty close, but then if you want to take it to another level, um, then we can use your bike fit equations um, or bike fit measurements, which you can also take at home. So it doesn't have to be through a through a through a uh, you know a, a fitter. Um, and then, of course, the ultimate is if have if you've been to the wind tunnel or if you've been to velodrome testing. You can input your data, and then we'll we'll calculate what the drag is uh, based on that. Um, and so, why is drag so important? Just a kind of a short primer on drag. Um, about eighty uh, percent of the power that you're outputting uh, goes to overcoming aerodynamic drag. It's even more on flat. So, uh, as you start to go uphill, at some point, the uh, ratio shifts, and your weight and the weight of the bike starts to become more of a, a factor. But for almost every triathlon, the biggest thing that you're producing power uh, to move yourself forward, the biggest thing you're trying to overcome is your aerodynamic drag. So the lower that you can get that, um, the faster you're going to go on the same amount of power. And there's some uh, some trade-offs. So the lower you get and the more compact you get, there is some power hit that you may experience from that. But what you can do with the software is you can start to see, okay, if I have a 5% power hit by getting low and small, I may still be faster on 5% less power for certain courses. So the cool thing about the software is you can start to really like evaluate all these different things to say, okay, is my bike fit good? Is my, you know, my wheel set good? Do I really need to buy that $3,000 new, you know, that $3,000 new set of wheels if it's only going to get me four seconds on this course? So 
uh, you really start to 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 be able to run through those kind of things. Hey, hey Ryan, did you? We had talked about this a while back, and I, I, I apologize for not having played with bikes, best bikes in a while. Um, do you have? Do you have it set up now where you can swap out wheels and and all that kind of stuff? I mean, we talked about you know, essentially you can say, okay, what what wheel setup do I need for this race? And here are my options. Uh, did you- um, currently, so we we don't have like a scenario based run. What we do have is the ability to uh, for premium users the ability to rapidly duplicate bikes. So I'll create a speed concept bike with um, like. 404s, so 60 millimeter wheels, and then I'll duplicate that bike and then have it with 90 millimeter wheels, and then I'll duplicate it again and have it with a disc, and then I'll run a race a race plan with the 40, a race plan or with the with the 404s, 808s, and the disc. Uh, so three different race plans, and then I'll compare all those race plans gotcha. and start to see, you know, where on the course am I gaining speed, where am I losing speed because they may be heavier. Um, and you can start to kind of make those decisions. Um, one of the things, this kind of starts to, to go to the output side, but once you get those inputs into the model, um, what I suggest doing is running the model based on a race that you've done before. Um, so you can load that course, or we have a, a large database full of courses, and you can say, okay, let me look at my average power from this race from a year ago. Uh, run that against my bike setup, and uh, we also take, uh, we have a get weather feature that will pull weather up to like 15 or 20 years in the past, so you can go in and, and select the date and the time, general uh, kind of mid-race time of that race, it'll pull the weather data. Does that include, uh, does that include the, the ebbs and flows of the moon and the gravitational pull, <laughs> or is that just weather in and of itself? So, it's just weather. Uh, however, uh, what I did learn uh, By the way, that was a, a week was ago joking. was that um, gravity changes based on where you are on near the equator, right? So you actually, you, near the equator, you experience you less gravity than you do as you get towards the poles. So we are now factoring that in, too. So. Oh, my goodness. You're, it's, you know, and I, I was absolutely joking, but, um, you know, I think that that's the other part of this. Do you feel like, and not to completely derail it, but do you think you're going to get people to where um, they almost disregard some aspect of racing? I mean, there's a mental aspect. I mean, you got to look at your race plan, and I, I get that, but there's also that, hey, this guy's going to be faster, so I've got to figure out. I mean, I don't know. It, it, so my goal is, like, so as an athlete, like, I want to focus on one thing, right? Like if I'm not one thing being a bike or a swim, but what I want to focus on is while I'm doing that, I want to be focused on the task at hand. And I think like, it's cool because a lot of triathletes, um, type a, that we love checklists. I don't know why I love checklists, but we love checklists. So I think of it like a checklist, like I'm on this bike and I'm riding and I'm hitting this number and I'm focused on that number. I'm now I can focus on that. I don't care about the pain. I don't care about this other thing. I'm focused on this goal. Okay, noops. Now I've got a new goal for this next section. I'm going to focus on hitting that average target. And if somebody comes flying past me, I know that my TSS number, he's going to pay for that or she's going to pay for that later, right? right. So um, if I hit this plan I'm and I have a certain TSS goal where I know I can just hammer the run off the bike or that I'm at least going to be able to continue run and not have to walk off the bike, then I am you know 90% sure that I'm going to see that same person later. Right. <laughs> and yeah. so no, you. You, you start to like, 
it's it's cool because it it i i would like to take that like uh that surging mentality out of it so like you go oh this person passed me i better surge because you're gonna really pay for that later yeah. um all those little surges and in, in oh i'm gonna uh, that person passed me i better get right back you know i better pass them back well like there's a big you know metabolic cost of that and there's a big energy cost of that and um it could derail your whole race. So the goal of best bike split is not necessarily to be the fastest bike split, but the you know the the plan your race to where your whole race is going to be the best experience that you can have. You know, do you think the purists are going to start revolting against so much? I mean, again, you're talking about including gravity based on your location to the equator. That's a whole nother level. I mean, do you think that's going to be something you're going to deal with or a blowback of some sort? I mean, I, I, as a coach, when I tell people to use a heart rate monitor, there's this subset of purists that go, heart rate monitor? What, are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, it's so I just... I oh, mean, yeah, there's I'm plenty of purists. And they, purists are very uh, adamant about things until they start getting beat by everybody else. So, right. Um, <laughs> it's amazing how fast that things will change if, uh, if they start seeing some results from, uh, from people that used to be slower than they were. Um, yeah, Ryan, you, what you just said kind of resonated with me because, you know, Mike and I coach around here and the thing that I know I talk to my folks about, and I'm pretty sure Mike does too, is especially long course stuff. You got to break the race down into chunks mm-hmm. and, it's really easy to say that, but it's, as you know, the three of us have done this stuff before too. So we've all raced and, and continue to, but it's pretty easy for you to, if you don't have anything to focus on, you're, you're, you're decomposing the race into chunks kind of starts to go away and you start yeah. to think about the grander race and then all of a sudden you're not you as bad. You start to in. get worried too. You yeah. start to think, oh no, what a, you know, doubt starts to come in. But if you can just focus on one thing and yeah. then focus on the next thing and it's short enough increments to where you're not letting your mind wander, then then you have, like you said, you have your task at hand and you're like, okay, here's this task. Okay, here's this next task. And something's yelling at you that they're, oh, beep, I got a new beep. There's a new task. Yes, yeah, so you're only so focused on one or two things at a time, which is really all you really want. Right. The other thing I like about it is it's harder for me, at least. I won't speak for Mike because he's smarter than me. He'll tell you. This is true. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't like to speak to people, especially people, athletes that I'm coaching, and I'm asking to do lots and lots of work um, to get to their goals. I don't like to speak to them in theories. I like to use quantitative data as much as I can. And a lot of times I'm, I'm forced to give them quantitative data after the fact, so to look at a result from a race that they had done or tell them to go do a benchmark um, you know, bike workout, and then to look at that data after the fact. I think Best Bike Split gives us the ability to kind of give them quanti- quantitative data before they go and do the activity, so that we can have something to refer to afterwards and compare against. And so, I think there's some some good power. To, there's power in that, in that it's not theory anymore, not as much theory anymore as it was. Just saying, okay, here's your race plan. Based on these workouts, you should ride it, you know, 200 normalized power, the whole race course, you know, just make sure you don't, you're not a water above or below that, and then you should be able to run great. Well, instead, using the things you talked about already, incorporating that with, you know, Frill's methodology around TSS, you guys are very, very specific. I don't know how many, I'll call them splits, I don't know what you guys call them, but I call them splits in the, in the, in the, the outputs that you give. There had to have been 12 or 14 of them for Oceanside that I put in. I will have more confidence because I know that 
that that bike leg is being broke down into that many pieces and i'm not just looking at it as a whole right um, i need to ride this at 210 and and a course like oceanside i don't want to be too specific to it but it really lends itself well to best bike split because it's relatively flat for 25 or 30 miles and you get three pretty big climbs and you end up yep. with in the, the grand scheme of things you end up with uh, 2500 feet of climbing um for this course and so riding it at a normalized power number is difficult because you're really forced to say okay well i got to be at 185 or 180 for the first 25 miles to make sure i can get over those three monster climbs and make it back in at 210 so i can run well exactly Whereas yeah you guys, so, you guys have given me 15 different points of data to look at to make sure that i can do the same thing yeah it's it's, it's interesting so how we break down the course is we have some some graph theory and some some things we do to, to kind of break a course down but basically what it does is it looks for significant gradient changes and significant direction changes so uh, if you load a course it all does this of course in the background but when you load a course it says okay I know that the wind is going to be coming out of a certain direction so I want to make sure that if I have a significant direction change that I'm taking that wind into account and then the same thing with gradient changes I know that you know, flat kind of pseudo rolling, you know, not too much gradient change I can handle one way, but then as the gradient starts to go up or down by a significant degree, then I need to make sure that I handle that as its own kind of segment. So it does that in the background and uh, it is very variable based on the distance and the terrain type, et cetera. So um, like you said, it, we kind of, we kind of handle that in the background so that the athletes don't have to worry about trying to break it up themselves. And then on the output side, we look at those segments, but then we also look at uh, changes in power. So if there's not a significant change of power uh, for a couple of sections that are connecting, we can combine those sections. Um, and one of the things that we're looking at doing is actually having some uh, user-based interval targets too. So for really long courses, uh, we may have a lot of segments and for a, a person to actually use that and follow it in the race it can it can become cumbersome so uh we do two things for that we come up with a cheat sheet um and the cheat sheet breaks down the course into seven categories and so uh kind of a flat rolling with a headwind flat rolling with a primarily crosswind and flat rolling with a tailwind and those are three different power targets so you can pretty much say okay what is, do I feel like there's a big crosswind okay I need to hit this number oh wow this is obviously a headwind I need to hit this number um, and so you kind of know when you're out on the race course what what you're experiencing um, and then we also have uh, kind of a smaller one to two percent gradient hill two to four, four to six, and then a major hill, like a six-plus gradient, um, and then power targets for each of those. So um, you could set it up on your Garmin uh, for a longer, for the longer kind of climbs um, to display gradient. And for short stuff, the Garmin gradient calc is not great, but for the longer stuff, it, it ends up being pretty good. So, And you kind of know what the difference between a minor hill, a major hill, and a really long hill is. So um, it kind of just allows you to... to to not have to worry about every little segment and just kind of get a generalized number for those different types of uh, situations that you're going to see. So when you're, when you're, so I, I'm, I'm listening again to all the data points and all that stuff. I have, a, I ha, this just crossed my mind. So um, speak to it if you can, but with all that information, 
and you and I have talked about this, if we know that to, to qualify for Kona, for example, you need to hit, the, your person needs to hit this power, or they mm-hmm. need to train to this power. So they have to hold 290 or whatever. They need to train to this power. So when you're putting their 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 training plan together and their and their racing plan and all that stuff all the way through a year in advance, you can actually say with some level of confidence that if you hit X, Y, and Z power, this should allow you to have the best run, and this should allow and this should be the time you need to qualify. Yeah. So it, I kind of we kind of work on it backwards, right? So you look at the times that you think you're going to need for the general conditions. Um, and then say, okay, I know what that time equates to power-wise. Okay, well, with your current level of training, that would be this kind of TSS. Where you know, so like a TSS training stress score for those that are familiar. So um, those that are under the rock, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, so so for instance, if if you know that uh, they need to hit 290 watts but their FTB or functional threshold power is only 310 watts, well, obviously, that's a huge percentage uh, you know, effort on the bike. So you know you need to get their FTP from 310 to 340 right. or whatever it is. Those are high numbers, but you kind of get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to increase that to be able to drop their TSS where you know they can run well off the bike. So it kind of gives you, like you said, a year ahead of time, you plan out that they're a race. They want to get to Kona. They want to perform well at Kona. Okay, well, here's the type of times you need to hit to perform well at Kona, you know, within a variable range. And here's where your current level of fitness is. So we know we need to get your fitness from uh, that low, you know, wherever it is now to uh, this new plateau by the time the race comes. And so it may even be a year and a half away. So you may not be able to get it this year uh, and stay healthy and stay injury-free. Um but you may be able to do that in two years. So you can start planning all of these things and say, okay, let's let's use the end <laughs> to start planning the the beginning, right? So so that's how that's how I usually look at it. So if I have a goal race, um, I plug it in what I need to hit for that goal race. Um, I'll take that. I'll say, oh wow, my TSS. I'm never going to be able to do well there at my current level of fitness. Right. So let me look at my current training, look at ramp rates, where do I need to get my FTP, where do I need to get my CTL, those kind of things, so that I can, uh, CTL form, um, where do I need to get my form and my fitness so that I can make sure that by the time that race day comes, that I'm going to be prepared for it. So do you think, do you, and you don't have to say, but do you have pros that are rolling around right now that are now full-on believers in Best Buy Split and that are... <laughs> that are training that way and like uh, there's a surprise person coming into Kona that it just happens to be using this and understand that my thought process, if, if I'm best bike split, I'm going to find that person that's just close enough and trying to get them to use my product and then yeah. win Kona and go, okay, what am I going to do with all my money? And I had this picture of you like Mayor McScrooge just diving into your gold <laughs> and diving out of it and diving back into it. Well, first of all, we'd have to get more money in triathlons. <laughs> <laughs> right. it's, it'd be a very small pool that you're diving into. <laughs> so well, um, first, that's all. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, so it, the pros, it's kind of interesting to look at it. So uh, we have a, a lot of pros using it and a lot of pointy into the spear kind of riders, both at the uh, on the triathlon side and then at the kind of pro world tour level. So um, we do have a deal with Trek uh, Factory Racing, but 
we also know there are other teams that are using it, and so a significantly large number of other other pro teams using it. Um, and what they see is at the pro level, you're they're already professionals. They already pace themselves really well. Uh, but what they tend to use it for is more of uh, kind of on the targeting side. So, for instance, if you have a course that you've never ridden before, um, you know you can pace well, but what is your what should be your target goal so that you can run well off the bike? Um, so uh, I always use TJ Tullickson last year as, a, as an example. Um, I got an email Wednesday after Ironman Montreblanc, which was the North American Championship last year. I got an email from him uh, the Wednesday after he won the race saying, hey, I used your software. I just wanted to thank you for, for making this. This is great. And what he had used it for is he had a specific time. He wanted to break 4.30 on the bike, uh, which he did. He went significantly under 4.30. But he thought to do a 4.30 on that bike course, he thought he was going to have to do 300 watts. And so what we showed him is that, no, he could break the bike course on 280 watts. And by that 20, that 20 watt difference was huge. That allowed him, instead of going out and hammering at 300 watts to right off the bat, he was able to go out at 270, 275, build into the 280, and then hold the 280. Um, and it's a, a fairly hilly course, so uh, he actually had quite a bit of up and down, but his average and, and normalized power target were, were right on that 280 number. And so he used it to to plan his race and by doing that his TSS number was was very low compared to where he's been in other races and he had his best run since 2011 off the bike so um well, that 20 watts that 20 watt savings has got to be enormous over the course of oh well yeah so like I mean miles, so. had he tried to hit 300 for the whole race yeah, oh, yeah. his he fatigue would have set in he probably still would have ended up somewhere at 290 but he would have yeah. just been crushed for the for the right. run so right. You know, just by thinking through it and, and allowing the software. Now he was using the free version of the software, so there was <laughs> lucky you. <laughs> so I was like, hmm, <laughs> we're giving away too much. But um, but yeah, so just like being able to do those strategies beforehand um, is is a pretty cool, pretty pretty powerful tool. But what we actually find is that pro athletes who tend to pace quite a bit better. Um, you know, they can get a couple of minutes, so they may be able to get two or three minutes uh, savings for optimal pacing strategy if it's a kind of a tricky, hilly, you know, or windy course. Um, on a completely flat, non-windy course, then it, everybody, it kind of normalizes it. You just hit a normalized power and you're, and you're good to go. But as courses get a little more trickier, or as wind starts to play into it, um, the strategies change quite a bit. So take into account TJ's uh, hands next to his chin. I was about to say that. We do. He's got a lot of wind tunnel data, so it was it made his numbers come out very very nicely. Yeah, I mean, for those listening, that's a big. You you guys, many of you probably don't recognize who TJ is in terms of the the bike he rides, but he rides a a very unique bike with a very unique fit. So he rides a beam bike for one thing. He's an engineer though, so that's his. Yeah, thing, yeah. he's he's the founder of Diamond Bikes. It's an relatively new beam bike company which is a kind of a single beam um of carbon fiber uh, you can take look look at look up diamond bikes and you'll see what it looks like <laughs> yeah and the actually there, there, is, is you he, should start to see a lot of those around yeah. because they've been ramping up production and i think they've got jesse thomas and jordan rapp and a few other pros are riding diamonds uh this yeah. year as well so but then his fit he's got his aero bars 
you know, pointed at what about a forty-five degree angle. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's not—he's a very unique in terms of bike fit. So it, it talks, it speaks to the strength of the tool that it, it could factor in, you know, all those different things. And and a guy like that who makes a living racing, and not a very good one, but makes a living racing, um, can trust this tool and and use it to to put out the best effort he can get out there. You know, one of the cool things about uh, about some of the work we're doing with bike fitting numbers and in drag estimation with with bike fit numbers is that we're if you look at online you look at some of the literature and stuff on this a lot of them spend a, quite a bit of time with frontal area so uh, if you think about it as you're riding into the wind well the wind you know the, you have an apparent wind coming at you so it always the faster you go the more it feels like a headwind and so the school of thought is, of course, if you can reduce the area, reduce what the wind sees, you can go faster. And that's true. But there's another factor that plays into it, and that's uh, what they call drag coefficient. So if you think about that, the more you look like a bullet flying through the air uh, and the less you look like a cylinder, the faster you're going to go as well. So you, it's kind of a two-prong effect by getting compact and getting, uh, getting low and compact you're both reducing your frontal area, reducing the, what the wind can see, and you look more like a bullet than a cylinder. So you're actually, uh, it's funny, by having his hands up there by his face, um, he's getting actually more compact and, and kind of more, uh, more bullet-like, if you will. So for a big guy, the kind of arrow numbers he has are really, really good. Um, he has the same kind of numbers that people that are much smaller uh, than him have. So. Yeah. Hey, so Ryan, I need some help from you here. Mike and I talk about power a lot with, with athletes and, you know, it's, it's a big investment and, you know, they ask us and we always just say, well, you need it. And <laughs> we try to give them a few reasons why they need it. Joe Frill said so. Yeah. And, you know, we went to the, you know, training peaks you, as you know, and so Joe basically said everyone needs power. And so that's the latest response that Mike and I are using, but you yeah, know, just tell I, them. Tell them every everybody in Boulder has power. So yeah, yeah, there you go. Get power. All the cool kids have <laughs> yes, power. Yes, you can't use the best bike split if you don't have power. That's why you need it. Uh, you, you could. It's and we're looking at it a little you're, bit. You're messing this up. We'll, yeah, we'll get into that later. So, you still have to have some power numbers, so you'd have to go into like the. Uh, you'd have to go into. Uh, like a cycle studio and use a compu trainer and right. get an FTP number or something. But, but yeah, so, but you power, power meters are awesome and they're awesome for a couple of different reasons. So, uh, in training, it's, it's amazing. So like to have instant feedback of the effort that you're putting in heart rate is cool and it's good. Um, but it lags. So like if I just go hammer, if I, if I start from scratch and I go do a real short warm up and just kind of get to a baseline and then I go and climb a mountain. Well, my heart rate's not going to show that mountain until I'm already up over the mountain, especially in Texas. So I'll already be over the next mountain before the heart rate shows, shows the uh, you know shows shows that effort. And so you, it's hard to really correlate that to the training. And same thing with intervals. If you go and do your first interval, your heart rate's not going to start spiking until you're almost done with that first interval. And then it's not going to come down <laughs> until, you know, pretty much after the workout. So once it spikes up, it's going to stay at this elevated range until your workout's over. But with power, you can immediately go in and say, okay, here's an interval for four minutes. I'm going and I'm going to hit this certain number. I know it's zone four or whatever. 
Um, and then when I let off, I can immediately see that I've let off. And so when you look at the data uh, after the ride, you can start to really, really tell, um, you know, how much load you're putting on putting on your body. The other cool thing is that power is directly related to physics. So uh, for best bike split, that's very convenient. Um, so if I know how much power you're outputting and I know how fast you went over a certain course, over a certain section of the road, then I can get all kinds of cool data about that. Um, I can start to look at what your drag is. I can start to plan out future races based on those numbers. So um, the power meter, what I like to kind of say, the power meter is not just for training anymore. Like, uh, a lot of people, the, the kind of older school thought was, okay, use your power meter in training, and then you, uh, and a lot of pro teams still do this, uh, like world tour pro teams, they tape over their power meter on, on during races. So they, they <laughs> use it for training, and then they tape over during races. And for road races, I can see that. But uh, for time trials, it, it makes absolutely no sense, because you should be using that as a tool to to race effectively. Um and so just like you use it for training, uh, it should be used on race day uh, just as much and relied on. Um, that being said, there are, are quite a bit of variation between power meter to power meter. So, um, you know, it, you can kind of think of it as uh, the original power tap you had on your wheel. And the cool thing about that is it measures the power that you're putting into the road. So if you, you think about it uh, from a kind of a mechanical system of systems aspect um you're a rider you're on top of the bike and your legs are producing power well that power goes through your pedals goes through your crank goes through your chain goes to the back wheel moves the cassette and then that moves your bike so there's a lot of moving parts in there so the power that you're pushing through your leg is not the power that actually gets pushed directly to the road so um Power tap measures in the hub. Now they've got two new ones, but power tap in the hub measures the power that you're outputting on the road, um, and that's what Best Bike Split uses to determine, you know, uh, what is actually being pushed into the road and what's propelling you forward. Uh, if you look at the pedal-based power meters, they measure it at the pedal, so it's all the way up the chain. The crank measures it kind of in the middle part of the chain, uh, that, that um, you know, that system of systems. So. What we do to account for that is we have something called mechanical loss, and so we we kind of use that as an adjustment to say, okay, well, if I'm pushing 300 watts through my legs, I may only be getting 96% of that at the wheel. So those those kind of things you start to you start to narrow down, and and we have some settings to to help people kind of figure that out and automate that, so you don't have to actually know all that stuff. So, um, so if I just if I heard you correctly, you prefer to get the power reading at the back end of the drivetrain rather than well, the Well, so we, we take it into account. So it, it's for us, it doesn't really matter. Doesn't matter. Um, but, yeah, it's it's one of those things that it's uh, you just have to be aware of it. So you just need to be aware that, you know, not all power meters are created equal. And mm -hmm. so it's uh, it's just something to know that if you are you have a power tap and you have a – uh, if you're riding with two power meters, for instance, so if you're or a DC Rainmaker and you're riding with 20 power meters, <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> you, uh, you just have to know that there are going to be variances from, from power meter to power meter. So, um, and with stages and left only um, type of new systems that are, that are cheaper and they're great for training, um, they're also good for racing, but you just have to be aware that there is some, there could be some differences in there because 
they take your left power only, and so if you have leg strength discrepancies or uh, you know you're cycling, you're not you know perfectly synchronous cyclist, um, so you're not pushing the same power on both sides. That your numbers could be a little bit off. So we prefer iBike and Strava. Uh, <laughs> Uh, just the, just the oh, just the estimated power. Yeah, we, yeah. Estimated. We, we feel like that's probably best. Actually, um, well, that's, I just, that's, that's I just use heart rate and take a guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, just gonna put. I use the Pythagorean theorem and uh, the, the how high the moon is, and uh, I'm, I'm I probably close. shouldn't be saying this, but I don't even have a power meter on my bike right now. So. Oh yeah. my goodness! <laughs> how dare you? Oh my goodness! No, you I, completely ruined this podcast. I've got two sitting, no longer... sitting next to my. I just don't have a monitor. It is well, no gotta, longer valid. This you got to put them on thing. there. So you don't have a preference, what I'm hearing you say? No, you no. I don't. I, and personally. actually, the, the update, I think Sage has updated their firmware, and the, the numbers are looking uh, really good off of that now. Um, and it's there's a few new ones that are coming out. The Four Eyes has a left and right only, or you can combine them, I think. Um, and so I haven't seen like how well those are, are or how accurate those are yet. But... Um, I should be uh, testing some new power tap pedals here pretty soon, so I'll uh, kind of working to put together a uh, kind of an FAQ on different power meters and what the ideal settings for best bike split would be for each of them. So. Yeah, I ride a Quark. Um, Quarks are really good. We have a, I mean, we tend to get really good data off of uh, all our athletes that are using Quark or SRM or. Uh, Power to max and those yeah, kind. we're seeing a lot of people though go to the Garmin vectors yeah, a lot. Just, are you just because of the price point now with the left only option that they have with the ability to go to the right to get the right pedal and have two. Uh, but so we're seeing a hopefully lot of those. the uh, people will start gravitating the power tap ones as well. The new power tap pedals. Uh, Mostly because there's no dongle related to it, so there's you don't have to ever worry about like messing up your installation of them, which is convenient. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, you said something almost at the beginning that I I can't let go because um, you use the word cheat, and if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Um, <laughs> you talk a little bit about um, the cheating with the power meter. Can you just go into that for five minutes and just sort of help us understand? I know I could read this and and. Yeah, or yeah, for sure. It's, on it, but talk about that for a minute. Well, that's that's my favorite. Like, it's my favorite Joe Friel article, and yeah, I think he wrote it in 2012, or maybe it got refreshed in 2012. And it's it's just a, such a powerful tool because what you can do is if you have a power meter and you're trying to pace, especially endurance events, so uh, half Ironman or longer, um, it really is kind of like cheating. You don't have to think, right? So like, it takes the thought process out of it. If um, you so to kind of go into a little bit. Joe Friel wrote an article. Um, it's called "How to Cheat with the Power Meter," and he has a chart uh, for Ironman racing in there that has um, intensity factor on the kind of x-axis or on one on the column, and it has time across the across the the top. Uh, so the top row has time, and it basically says. For based on the type of athlete you are and the type of runner you are, what type of TSS targets should you try and aim for? Um, now the funny thing is, like his was how to cheat with the power meter, but there wasn't really an easy way to implement that during a race. None of the at the time that he wrote it, I don't even think Garmin had TSS or in normalized power on the device. Now they they've added it now, um, but there wasn't really a good way 
to implement that for different courses. So if you had a target of, let's say, 180 uh, for half Ironman, 180 uh, TSS points, there wasn't like, okay, 180 points on would be paced completely different on Ironman Florida as it would on Ironman Wisconsin. Right. So two completely different types of courses. So if I was to target 180, I know I can run really well on 180 TSS off the bike. So from previous races, I can look and say, oh, if I hit 190 TSS, I had to walk half the, like the half marathon. If I hit 180, I was able to run at a really good pace the whole time. So what we're... What we're doing is we're we're taking the how to cheat with the power meter and actually implementing it to where you can start to see it and start to utilize it and really start to effectively uh, plan and race using it. So now I can go into best bike split. I can say Ironman Florida. I want to do 180 TSS. Okay, well that may be a five hour and ten minute ride. Ironman Wisconsin. I want to do 100 t- or sorry, uh, uh, half Ironman. So let's go back to. Uh, um, Oceanside. So I want to do 180 TSS at Oceanside. Well, that may be a two-hour and 40-minute ride, where if I want to do uh, 180 at Galveston 70.3, that may be a 220. So like those differences, you can start to see it, and you can start to implement it. So I know that I can start to account for the different types of races and different uh, conditions by using this in quote-unquote cheating. <laughs> so now... I know the plan before I go to the race. I don't have to think about it at the race. I just go and do it. Okay. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, I have to ask you because I'm, uh, it's coming, and <laughs> you're a hellaciously smart guy. What does stride do for you in terms of um, – I mean, are you excited about cool. this at all? And, and, uh, let, me, let me see if I can look around make sure they're not in the office. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, no, so it, it's a cool, it's a really cool concept. So um, it's it's kind of funny. I I've been testing a Ticker X. So I don't know if you uh, Ticker X is like a uh, it's Wahoo, it's a heart rate monitor um, that collects a lot of really cool metrics, right? So um, it actually collects all the same metrics that Stride does, but it doesn't create, you know, it doesn't have a power number. Um, they have something called running smoothness, which is somewhat similar, kind of. Um, so. These devices have a really cool place. They start to get at a lot more data. Now the issue is what, and I talked to <laughs> I talked to one of our ultra marathon runners this morning uh, here in the office about this very thing, and it's like, well, so what do you do with the data? What I found is that there's not really any good um, information on what the data should look like. There's rules of thumb. We know you should do 180 feet, you know, 180 steps a, a minute or whatever. So your stride, you know, your your RPM should be 180. Um, okay, well, that's cool, but so we know that. But we have no data on what should your vertical oscillation be. A lot of people say it should be the lower the better, or what should your foot contact time be. Um, and I think Bobby McGee always had this picture, and I am not 100% sure it was him, but I used to, there was a picture of uh, this marathon runner, so a bunch of Kenyan and Ethiopian marathon runners. And it was at like mile 20 of the marathon, and they're all just running at this ridiculously fast speed, you know, all five-minute paces. And you look at their foot strike, and you look across, not a single one is the same, right? You had two heel strikers, you had a midfoot striker, you had two toe strikers, and you had all these different running forms. Some were had like 
long arm movements. Some were just had their arms by their side. Some were, you know, swaying back and forth. And so you have these people, and they're all ridiculously fast, and they're all great, great runners, but they all have different styles. And so it's really tricky to say, well, what does the ideal runner look like? You know, like we we try and teach midfoot strike, forefoot strike, but these people are doing, you know, two hour, five minute marathons with a heel strike. And you start to go, well, hmm, that's weird. So, so I'm just, I urge being cautious with trying to, to generalize what a good runner should be. We do know some things like forward lean are important, some other stuff. So there are some things that you know um, are good. And so I'm just, with the power, it'll be, it kind of remains to be seen, like what you'll be able to do with that data. It's also a different mindset to get into because unlike, like the goal for the running power meter is to have lower power for the same speed, right? Mm-hmm. So you're more efficient. So the lower the power, the more efficient you're um, kind of. So same idea with the Wahoo running smoothness metric. The smoother you are, the more efficient you are. Um, so you start to look at that and say, okay, well, it kind of is counterintuitive to the power you know, the power idea for cycling where you always want more power, but in some ways it's analogous too because if you can go faster on less power, then you're probably more aerodynamic, more efficient, et cetera. So... It just remains to be seen what we're going to be able to like really do with the data once once we start to to get it and look at it. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited about. I'm actually excited about some of those things you just talked about, and just trying just the ability to figure out some of those unknowns, and really just using comparisons with one, the same athlete. So, yep. I'm a yeah, coach, so it's and I bring very individualized, and that's the cool thing is that if you start to collect that data and you start to get a lot of it. Then you can start to do. Uh, then you can start to really tell and say, "Okay, let me look at you, and let me look at if I have, you know, if I can get the data of everybody in your age group, for instance, at you know certain distances. Then I can say, well, how do you compare to the top five percent? Is there any general trends in the top five percent? And that's some of the stuff that we'll we'll probably do through the training peak side um, and start to expose uh, some of those and say, is there is there something that is correlated between these top 5% of these athletes in your age group? Um, and then do you compare to that? And, and what are some of the metrics you can work on that may help you get there? So, um, like I said, it, it'll just really depend on, it has to be really widely adopted and these metrics start, uh, kind of need to be, um, whether it's vertical oscillation or if it's power or whatever it is, they need to start being collected by uh, a bunch of devices and kind of standardized so that we can start to reach conclusions off of it. Yeah, yeah. But I'm excited right. about this. <laughs> yeah, I am. I mean, I'm really excited, for example, just to be able to bring them to a track session with a bunch of athletes and wire them up with it or wireless them up with it and, you know, show them, okay, lean forward and then have, give, have, they then have a metric. To, to look at to see that okay this is the this is the efficiency improvement by adding this forward lean or by you know increasing your cadence increasing or, cadence or or bringing the knee higher or what have you um, so I'm actually excited about that yeah one of the things that's uh, that's kind of interesting uh, not to jump back to <laughs> to Wahoo but uh, one of the things that's cool about the kicker which I actually didn't know that they had until uh, I was having a conversation with their uh, head engineer, a guy named Murray, 
he's an Australian guy, and he's a really, really nice guy. And he, are you name dropping right now? Yeah, it sounds like you're name dropping. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of name dropping. I'm just kind of <laughs> name dropping him in case people want to talk to him because he's really cool. But yeah. um, I don't know if anybody knows him. <laughs> but uh, they do now because we're worldwide. Worldwide. <laughs> um, but I, I was talking to him, and I said. Man, it'd be really cool. You got all these accelerometers in here. It'd be cool if I could get ma- uh, get back angle off of this device because I was trying to get all these numbers for our fit equation. And he's like, "We already do that. It already like just download the CSV and it's in there." And so I started to look at it on different rides, and I was like, "This is really cool." And it it also worked for running, of course. But it's um, I could tell when I'm down in the drops what my angle, like what my torso angle was. I could tell when I was climbing Lee Hill, and so it fairly long climb here in, uh, outside of Boulder and I could see like how did my position change as I started to get into these different like scenarios so for me it was it was awesome and you can take that same thing and look at it in running so 90 degrees is straight up as you start to get that forward lean you can start to see during the run uh, what that that angle is and start to look at the efficiencies and look at like did your speed increase did you know so you can start to really dive into all those unfortunately you can only get it in the CSV right now because none of the systems to analyze this data uh, picks that up as a metric yet. So really what we need to do is really try and get people across the industry to standardize on these metrics so that when we're looking at it, we, we can we can know that this device is measuring the same as this device, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, and I, and I, I'll need to look at Stride out to ask them uh, if they're collecting that as well, but I think that they are. They yeah. have the... I think they I think they are I mean I had Gus and Jamie on a few weeks ago and they talked about body position and how they they're tracking body position so I'm pretty sure it's in there yeah I think we have one off of somewhere yeah Ryan uh let me give you some time here so tell folks I mean I I know the URL and stuff but tell folks um how to get to you guys and uh you know, just kind of plug plug time here. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, bestbikesplit.com. Um, as Dave mentioned earlier, we have a free option, um, which is actually fairly fairly powerful. So, <clears throat> it does limit you to a single bike, but you can update that bike as much as you want. Um, it limits you to a single race plan, <clears throat> which you can also update as much as you want, and has uh, unlimited number of courses that you can upload or add. So. Um, so you can use that, and apparently TJ used it very effectively to win the North American Championship last year. Um, when do you get your kind of that money? Did he send you a check or? I, yeah, I asked him. I, I was like, just send me a diamond and we'll call it a year. I got it. Hell yeah. $10,000 um, $10, uh, ad there. That's pretty good. Yeah, exactly. Um, so um, so the free version is, is good. It does limit your downloads to four. The type of downloads we have, um, you can load race plans into Trainer Road, into CompuTrainer, uh, Peripedal, um, pretty much any of those uh, indoor training type of uh, systems or software. Um, also, you can download the Garmin Power Course, which will allow you to upload it to an Edge device to use on race day. Um, gives you access to the cheat sheet, uh, which is funny. It's a, most of our pros actually use the cheat sheet, so they just tape it to their... Uh, top two and and go ride with it actually we had we had one cody bills who would ride it on both sides of his forearms um <laughs> he was riding with magic marker um so uh 
So the premium version allows you to do unlimited race plans, compare race plans, duplicate bikes, duplicate race plans. Um, and then we also have a coaches version, uh, which allows you to create unlimited uh, number of athletes. <coughs> Excuse me. A number of unlimited number of athletes. Uh, you can also invite athletes to set up free accounts, which we can attach back to your coach account. You would have, as a coach, would have complete access to put unlimited amount of data into their their uh, account. But when they sign on, uh, and you can send them race plans uh, via a link that is a complete race plan with down unlimited downloads, etc. Uh, but when they sign on to their free account, then they're limited uh, to the to the kind of free structure. Um, but you can also attach premium athletes to your coach account as well. Um, coming up, some of the cool things that we're we're working on um, that we should have relatively soon is the ability to upload. Um, our first integration point with Training Peaks will be the ability to upload any type of file to create a course file. So I think we can we'll be able to upload about twenty seven different types of files. So that fit file, that whatever file you can pretty much think of, we'll be able to upload um, to create a course. <clears throat> um, from there, we're going to do some simple course editing features. So if you have a ride that has some warm up and cool down, or you have a ride from a previous race that has all the transition in it. You'll be able to crop both sides of uh, the ride to create the course, and then if it's a multi-loop course uh, and you only have one loop of it, you'll be able to say, "Okay, how many loops is this uh, is this course?" So some simple editing features, and then the ability to uh, the cool thing that I'm very excited about is some new race comparison or race plan comparison metrics, and then the ability to actually upload your real ride data and compare the optimal plan to the ride to say where did things go well, where did things go wrong, what could we do better next time, uh, and really start to to dive into um, more of the post-race analysis so that we can we can help you plan your future races better. Very cool. Awesome. Oh, and a virtual wind tunnel. So upload rides. Of course, uh, virtual. I mean, you, why wouldn't you have a virtual wind tunnel? <laughs> well, you need it. Yeah, I mean, everybody. <laughs> when I say it. virtual wind tunnel, it won't be like a, you know, like a 3D model kind of thing. It would be more like a... I go ride outside. I know the weather uh, data from where I rode, and so start creating drag profiles uh, based on on that data that you upload. So as you upload ride data, you can go out instead of paying to go to a wind tunnel. You go out and uh, try a new setup, try a new position, bring it in, see what the drag profile changes kind of look like based on that. You basically just made every bike fitter's head in the United States explode right there. Just. Yeah. Completely. <laughs> well, yeah, we also have. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> we also. Have, uh, there's so many things that are on the planning table, but uh, so we have to prioritize them. But we're we're talking with uh, Retool about uh, doing kind of a best bike split for fitters kind of app. So you can uh, go in for a aero fit. Um, you plug in your numbers as they're doing the fit. You can start to see the type of time differences you could expect at different races and different courses. So, is that going to be through Specialized, or is that actually going to be through Retool? Are they doing it? No, it'll be a separate application. It'll be open for any fitter. Uh, so we just happen to Retool's local. So we've been uh, talking with them just about going in and, and really like um, kind of observing different fits, what they take, see if we can add a couple of measurements to it, um, and then coming up with something where. You know, you can start to quantify these differences, or if you start to uh, look at <coughs> the crossover point I mentioned earlier, where 
you're getting more aero, but you start to lose power. So on hilly courses, you don't, you may not want to, you know, like get that aero because your power loss may, may, uh, you know, be a detriment in the long run. So they got to take into account the, uh, the, the, the full frontal that you were talking about earlier. Yeah, so it'll, it'll be, uh, it's funny wording, but yeah, <laughs> it'll, uh, yeah, it'll, uh, it'll use those same measurements. And so we, we do use, um, like I said, I think about 12 measurements of which seven or eight are, uh, retool or data that retool already collects. Um, and what that does is kind of come up with a frontal area and that drag coefficient, uh, number for, for the athletes. Very cool. Jeez. What I just heard for the last hour, Ryan, is is why I appreciate guys like you that exist because you get to make things that I would normally not understand any of. That's how we landed on the moon, dude. Reality moon. for uh, for us mortals. So I really appreciate um, the work you guys are doing, and uh, and I appreciate you joining us. And you know, speaking, it'll be good to have you back in Texas. Yeah, yeah, we'll be uh, where so- do you belong. Yeah, so Rich is in Austin, and so we're going to kind of set up our headquarters down there and uh, kind of just see uh, how fast and how much we can do. So Great. All right, man. Well, I uh, I really appreciate you joining us, and uh, I won't be a stranger. I'll probably bug you from time to time. So Yeah, I'll- bug me, and let me know about the uh, race, and I'll, I'll take a look at your uh, – I'll take kind of take a look at your plane a little peek real quick and right, cool. see how it looks. That'd be awesome. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. Yeah. I hate it when you laugh. No, you can no, laugh. I have you zero. should see. You should see how everybody has to wait at the top of the hills out here for me. <laughs> Get up to the top, I'm, and they're like, "Are you ready yet?" And they've already had a sandwich. So. I'm, I'm 265 pounds, and I wear lycra. It's it's, it's sexy. You it's laugh actually... at me all you want. Yeah, but I, I don't know what my excuse is. So. <laughs> it's stealing sex with people. <laughs> Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, you should go out on a steel frame. That'd be pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I appreciate it.